Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we continue our study through the Word of God. And uh, this morning, uh, in chapter 7, Paul has been speaking on marriage. Uh, In the first part, he talked about, again, uh, the sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, the uh, responsibilities and the the need to uh, meet each other's needs as husband and wife. And then Paul talks about, um, again, unmarried. This morning he's going to talk about unmarried, to the unmarried, and to widows in verses 25 through 40. After he gave believers serious advice to be content and abide in their God-given state, then that was the last a time we were together, uh, he spoke again on, on those that uh, whenever they got, whatever state they were in when they got saved, to be happy in that, that state, to be content in that state. After that, Paul now turns his attention to the virgin Christians. It seems that the Corinthians had asked Paul whether Christ himself had left any command or instructions concerning unmarried girls, the young married girls. And this is what, you know, again, the the meaning of Paul when he turns his attention to the virgin Christians, the young uh, unmarried girls. Uh, So, again, the the Corinthians wanted to know if, if, again, Christ himself had left any command or instructions concerning unmarried girls as to whether they should marry or not. It's very possible that there were some believers in Corinth who were teaching that the Lord had revealed answers to these questions directly to them. Now, this seems to be a common error throughout Christianity. That is, in many, many Christian circles, there are those who believe or pretend that they have had direct revelation from God concerning specific situations. And then they try to push their views on others. You know, somebody might be, you know, seeking an answer to a situation in their relationship, in their marriage, and, and you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they're really wanting what they want more than what God wants to say to them. And, and I've experienced this when I have done marriage counseling, is that they don't get the answer they want to hear, and um, so they go out, and they go on their own, and they say they're praying and waiting upon the Lord, and... Uh, sooner or later they get the answer that they want and say, well, I feel that God has told me this and yet it's contrary to the word of God. And I remember sharing with a lady one time about wanting to divorce her husband and I said, well, you know, I I understand how hard this is, but you don't have biblical grounds, you know, based on what the scripture says. And I know that she was not, that was not what she wanted to hear. And, uh, you know, she, she, I didn't see her for about three months. You know, she kind of went away and came back one day and I saw her and she came up all happy, all smiling. She goes, I go, well, how are you doing? She goes, oh, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing better. She says, uh, uh, I'm divorcing my husband. I found a pastor who said I could divorce. <laughs> okay. And so again, that's, that's what was going on here. Some people think they get a revelation from God themselves that, that, that solves their problem. And then they try to, you know, tell others, hey, you know, this is what God said to me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's okay. And, um, 
but again, it contra- contradicts Scripture. So, you know, whatever God tells you, uh, if it contradicts Scripture, if you say it so, the, it's not God because he's not going to contradict his own word. And so, in this letter, it seems that the Christians, Corinthian Christians, asked Paul if he actually knew of any such commandments that the Lord gave him concerning these matters because he was an apostle and because he may have had firsthand uh, and detailed knowledge of Christ's revelations. The believers in Corinth knew that Paul would be totally honest about telling them what the Lord really commanded and what, they, what he understood from those commandments as the proper solutions to specific problems. And Paul is very careful to say exactly what was a commandment of the Lord and what was his own counsel. And in Paul's honesty, he didn't want anybody to be misled to believe that his personal opinion was a commandment of the Lord. When something was definitely commanded by the Lord, as, it, as said earlier in verses 10 and 11, uh, and then when the Lord was silent on a particular subject, Paul is honest to say it was of the Lord, like in verse 12 and 25. But that doesn't mean that when he said what he said, okay, because if it wasn't a commandment of the Lord, doesn't mean that what he said was to be ignored. If he said, hey, you know, I didn't receive a commandment from the Lord, it doesn't mean that, well, it's no big deal then. We don't have to listen to him. We'll just you know, kind of do what we want. Right? It, 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 again, it, it doesn't mean that it didn't have any significance. All right? It was still important. It was coming from Paul, an apostle called by God. So, uh, when, again, that, that uh, the apostles and the epistles... All right, in their epistles, they completed what Jesus said. All right, and it's important to understand that, that, again, Paul did not mean that what he said was to be ignored by Christians as insignificant because it wasn't a commandment of the Lord. Again, the apostles in their uh, letters complete what Jesus said. They never contradict. The letters never contradict what the Lord said they, or what the apostles wrote. They simply built upon specific situations that weren't dealt with by the Lord. But the general context in which something was said must always be considered. It's no contradiction when in a certain situation the answer might be yes, and then in another situation the answer might be no. You know, like parents who are responsible for our children, many times... We will tell our child no in one situation and then later on tell them yes in another situation. And again, it's, 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 let's take it for example. If, if uh, you know, our child asks us at midnight they want to go out and ride their bikes, you know, well, obviously we'd say no. You know, it's not a safe time. It's not a right time. You should be inside. You should be in bed. So we would tell them no, you can't ride your bike. But then let's say during the daytime, they say, hey, can I ride my bike? Well, it's daytime. It's, you know, we can, you can see and, and it's a, a good time to be out for the kids and exercise. And, and you would tell them, yes, you can ride your bike. So you would tell them, no, you can't ride your bike in a certain situation. But then, yes, you can ride your bike in another situation. And that's the thing that Paul's doing here. It's about the situation, whether it's a yes or a no. There are certain situation when it's good, situations when it's good for a person to stay single. And there are certain situations when it's good for a person to marry. So it's the situation that determines what the person should do. 
In the last section of this chapter, Paul gives us several good reasons for staying single. So what he, when he was talking about the subject of marriage and singleness, he made it clear that whether you were single or married, it didn't make you any better or worse, spiritually speaking. All right? It doesn't make you any more or any less spiritual than somebody else, whether you're married or not married. Spiritually based... Oh, sorry, spirituality is based on obedience to God. And this is important to understand. Spirituality is based on obedience to God. It's not based on how often I go to church. It's not based on how much I know of the Bible. It's not based on how much I give to the church or how much I do for the church. That's not what spirituality is based on. If you want a good measuring tool... If you want a good way of measuring a person's spirituality, just see how obedient they are to the Lord. See, it's easy to do things that don't require me to do uh, to to be obedient. It's easier to to do than to to than to be. Remember what Paul said in verse 19 earlier in chapter seven. He said, keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that means who obeys them, it is he who loves me. There is a very simple test for knowing whether or not I love God or anybody else loves God. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and obeys them, it is he who loves me. Here's the true test for knowing Jesus. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. I want to read it to you for, uh, from the New Living Translations for ease of, ease of understanding. And it says, And we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone says, I know God, but doesn't obey commandments, God's commandment, commandments, that person is a liar. And I lo- again, one of the things I love about the Bible, that it, it, it says it like it is. If someone says, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives just as Jesus did. Do you pass that test? You want to know if you love God? Are you obeying his commandments? There are a lot of opinions and ideas about being single about being married and having a family. There are a lot of books giving information and counsel on these subjects. And a lot of these books are recommended. They're passed around in the church, giving advice on singleness, marriage, and the family. But for the most part, the information in those books is good and pretty helpful. But not many of them have much to say about what the Bible says about being single. And a lot of this material that's out there for single people is, you know... It's kind of written to to help them survive their singleness. As if being single was some kind of a handicap or a burden, you know, or poor you. You know, you can't find a partner or or some kind of disaster. You know, it's not. That's That's the sad part. That, you know, that a lot of singleness, uh, you know, is looked at like that. But a lot of singleness is due to someone's sin. You know, some sin in their life or somebody else's sin. But Paul made it clear that for those who, who God gave the gift of singleness to, that there are many advantages for those who are single. 
Now let's look at the the advice now that Paul gave to these single people beginning with verse 25 through 27. He's going to give them this, this, this advice because, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of problems in the world. And those that are married are going to have a, a, a tougher time than those who are single. Look at verses now in chapter 7, 25 through 27. Paul says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Don't seek to be bound. So Paul says here, now, regarding the question that that, that you asked about the young women who are not yet married. He says, I don't have a command from the Lord for them. He says, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. And I'm going to share it with you. He says, because of the present crisis or the pressures of life, as he called it here, all right, because of the pressures of life, the present crisis, he says, I think it's best for you to remain as you are. If you have a wife, don't seek to end the marriage. If you don't have a wife, don't seek to get married. And Paul says about these words, he says, I have no commandment from the Lord. He says, but I do have my own opinion. And he says, I have received, he says, I haven't received any direct revelation from the Lord, nor do I know of any direct teachings from Christ on this subject. Yet this doesn't matter, or I should say, this doesn't mean, because Paul hasn't received any direct revelation, this doesn't mean that Paul's teaching is less divine and authoritative. He felt qualified to speak on this subject because he was an apostle. And he was a steward of the Lord. He speaks now to those who aren't married. It's a trustworthy guideline and a dependable, uh, totally dependable advice. Paul probably saw the coming persecution of the Roman government and what it would mean for Christians. So he gave them this useful common sense, all right, useful advice, because being single would mean less suffering and more freedom so that they could uh, give their life with less restrictions to serving the Lord, even to the point of death. There were believers who were tortured, mocked, and scourged. All you have to do is look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38. Some of those Christians were chained up. They were put in prison. Some were stoned. Some were cut in two, killed with the sword. Some wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were penniless, so poor. They were left with nothing. They were afflicted. They were tormented. Some wandered around in the deserts and the mountains, in in caves and in dens because they were Christians. Paul's advice shows his unwavering devotion to spreading the good news. He says of of the uh, the, the present distress here that he mentions in 25 and 27, the present distress that Paul is talking about in verse 26, it speaks of the anxiety or the circumstances that are caused by outside events that you can't control. And there are many things in life that we cannot control, events, circumstances that afflict us. But a single person would not have to deal with the heartache that married people face during times of physical disaster. Persecution is hard enough being single, but being married, 
the problems and the pain are multiplied. Think about it. If Paul had been married during his ministry, think about what it would have been like for his wife and his children. Paul spent a lot of time in jail. He spent a lot of time out in the wilderness. He spent a lot of time away from home, or would have if he'd have been married. It would have made his suffering so much worse because, you see, he would have been worried about his family, knowing that his family also would worry about him. You see, think about the times that Paul spent in prison, the beatings that he suffered, the near-death calls that he experienced, those close calls with death. How about the time he was beaten with 39 stripes? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 29 mentioned the things that he experienced. Beaten with rods three times, stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he spent in the deep. He spent a lot of journeys. He experienced dangers in the waters, danger of robbers, dangers of a lot of journeys, dangerous waters. You know, in danger of the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in the wilderness, in dangers in the sea, in dangers among false brethren. So in weariness and in toil, there were many times, he says, when I didn't get any sleep. There were times when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, when I was cold and naked. And then he says, not to mention the other things that I have to deal with every day. Like my deep concern for all the churches. If Paul would have had a wife and children, they would have suffered. Every time they found out that he was thrown in jail. Every time that he was beaten. Every time that he was stoned. They would have constantly been fearful for his life. And Paul now, he would have been worried about those. Who's taking care of my family? How are my children? Are, 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 they, are, they, are they surviving? How, they, how are they doing while I'm in prison? Who would have taught his children? Who would have comforted his wife? You see, his suffering and his everyday problems would have increased. And the effectiveness of his ministry would have decreased. Christians who are married who go through social, uh, social turmoil and persecution, they carry a lot heavier load than those who are single. And because of the dangerous times that were coming, neither those who were married or single should change their marital status, Paul, seven, Paul said in verse 27. You know, we're going through some very difficult times with the economy and the inflation. We see shortage of things, food, the, the, the high price of gas. And it's really putting a lot of stress on people, families, you know, getting, making ends meet. Some people living from check to check. And maybe some of you, are, you, know, you know, with this, with this baby formula shortage that, that's, that's, you know, been going on. Uh, I, I, there was an article about this dad, you may have read it, who was, he was, he was you know, his, his child was born three months premature, needed a special formula. This dad drove th- a thousand miles in search for that special baby formula for his daughter. And he was so, so concerned because, you know, she needed this formula. But every place that he went, they didn't have it. He said, my job as a parent is, is to find formula for my daughter. And he said his anxiety grew every step of the way. That's the things Paul ta- Paul's talking about here. The present distress... The days that we're living in. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It was against the law to preach in public during his day. But he was an obstinate preacher. That's what he was called. 
and he got arrested without a trial. And he was given three months in jail for preaching in public. All he had to do was say, I'm not going to do it anymore. And he would have got out of jail. He had a wife and he had a blind daughter. Three months. But all he had to say, okay, I, I won't do it anymore. He kept saying no. For 12 years, he spent 12 years in prison. Wondering, how is my wife and his blind daughter, who's taking care of them? How are they being taken care of? But again, th- this is the thing that Paul is, is, is pointing to here. Look at verse 28 now. He's going to speak about the trouble that, 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 that they'll have in the flesh. Verse 28. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. In other words, you're just going to have problems, period, whether you're single or not. If you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. But those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you these problems. A lot of people innocently think that getting married is going to solve all of their problems. Marriage with the joys involve conflicts. It involves tough demands, hardships, sacrifices, adjustments that singleness doesn't. And even though marriage is favored by God, it was instituted by God. It was given to us by God. It's holy and it's sacred and it's rewarding. It doesn't solve all your problems. It will bring more. So he's saying, don't get married to just get away from your problems. Marriage will not take away your loneliness. It will go with you into your marriage and it will end up making another person lonely. It won't solve sexual temptation. Even though God's design for sexual fulfillment was marriage, it doesn't remove the temptation to lust and immorality. And marriage is not the answer to sexual sin. You might just make it worse by bringing another person into it. It won't solve your deepest emotional needs or life's difficulties. So there are troubles that only singles have, but they may be multiplied by those if they get married. It's hard enough for a sinner to live with himself. But you get married. Now you have two sinners living under the same roof. Two individual lives being blended together. And when, you, when two people get married, they've just doubled their problems. And then with the first child, they've tripled. You got a fourth. Well, you see the picture. It just continues to increase. The difficulties increase. And now... What Paul's saying here, when you've heard just all this, you go, wow, you know, what a bummer marriage is. No, that's not what Paul is saying. This is not a negative comment against marriage that Paul is making. It's not that marriage isn't rewarding. It's just plain reality that Paul is, is revealing here. Paul is just telling the truth of it all. Marriage comes with conflicts, demands, hardships, sacrifices, and adjustments that the single life doesn't have. It's a package deal. The bad comes with the good. Marriage, remember, is ordained by God. It is good. It is holy and it is rewarding, but it doesn't solve problems. It will make more. Marriage alone does not keep two people together. And here's the important thing to understand. You know, we, we talk about having uh, meeting the right person and, oh, we're so much alike. And, and, and you know, it just we just seem to fit. We just, you know, and, and, and thinking this is what's going to keep us together. It doesn't. Commitment. Commitment is the key. 
Commitment is what keeps you together. It's the commitment you're making to, G, to, to the Lord in marriage and the commitment you're making to your partner. Commitment to Jesus. That is the key. And, and, and the commitment to each other, no matter the conflicts, no matter the difficulties. And as wonderful as marriage is, it doesn't automatically solve every problem. Whether you're married or you're single, you have to be content with your situation and focus on Jesus Christ, not on loved ones to help tackle our problems. He's the answer. Verses 29 through 31, Paul mentions the brevity of life. Verses 29 through 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though, as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. Paul says, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. Paul says the time that remains, the time that we have is very short. And we know that. It goes by real quick. He says, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. And those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy of their possessions. Those who use those things of the world should not become attached to them. Because this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. So Paul here is urging all believers to make the most of their time here on earth before Jesus returns. Every person in every generation should have this same feeling of urgency about telling others about Jesus Christ. Because life is short. And because we can't afford to waste any time. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, that is in wisdom, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. By Paul referring to these evil days, he was trying to pass on the sense of urgency because of how much evil there, were, there was in his time. We need to feel that same urgency because our days are just as evil, if not more. And I believe they're more evil. We have to keep our standards high. We have to act wisely and we have to do good whenever we can. So what Paul was trying to do here, he was trying to get people to not look at marriage or home or financial security as the ultimate goals of life. But to as much as possible, he said, we shouldn't let these things get in our way of serving God. Not getting involved with, you know, like with, with financial debt and big mortgages and troublesome budgets and, and, and all of these things that, that we invest in. Now, getting into debt that might keep us from doing the work of God. A married man or woman, as Paul points out in verses 33 and 34, they have to take care of earthly responsibilities, but he says, make every effort to keep them affordable and manageable. And then in verses 32 through 35, the worries of marriage. Verse 32 through 35. He says, but I want you to be without care. 
He who is married cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord and that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. He says, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking uh, how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And in the same way, he says, a woman can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Paul says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a restriction on you. He says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. So both husbands and wives are concerned about the things of the world. The husband is concerned about how he can please his wife and the wife is concerned now how she can please her husband. You know, one of the toughest things to watch is young men and women fading out of ministry after they get married. And I've seen it so much throughout the years. Young people with gifts, teaching and, and, and you know, skills that, that God can use tremendously. And while single, they have this, this, this drive for the Lord and they want to serve the Lord. Obvious gifts that God wants to use so greatly, especially with young people. Young people, and they're so needed in the body of Christ today. Then they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you begin to see that fervent spirit, little by little, start to withdraw. Then they get married and all, all, and all of it but comes to a stop. And, and there's a, now there's a different demand upon them. You know, and it, it, a lot of times it doesn't happen while they're going together, but it happens after they get married. And, and one of the things that I shared before, we put a, uh, we, we hand out a, uh, and during one of our um, premarital sessions, it's a questionnaire. It's got 25 questions. And, and we give them to the, 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 the couple uh, on separate you know, they each get one separately and they each fill it out separately. And then we come together and I will read the question. They haven't shared the notes. And I'll, and I'll read the question. Uh, for example, I'll, I'll ask the question. Uh, should the wife, uh, should the wife um, go to work after she's married? And the husband goes, will say, well, first of all, I'll ask, I'll ask the, the girl. She goes, well, no, I'm going to keep working. I didn't get this degree to, to stay home and take care of a house. The husband says, well, I'd like her to stay home and, and take care of the family. And she looks at, they look at each other. You know they haven't talked about that. Should the, husband, wife, should the husband help the wife do dishes? Sure, she should. You know, or or he, she says, sure, he should. And he goes, oh, well, that's a girl's job. You already see out of two questions... 
Oh, they're in for a, uh, they're in for a fun ride. Because this, you see, these kinds of things aren't discussed during the courtship. It's when they find out after they say, I do. And that's, that's when the, the, the difficulty becomes, it, it, it just, there are new demands and new things that are taking place. And again, the ministry now, it, 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 there, there's a, a negative effect now on ministry, on serving them, which they both wanted to do, though, so greatly before they got married. And so that's where the struggle begins. That's why Paul said, I want you to be without care. The single person is concerned about the things of the Lord and, and how he can please the Lord and how she may be holy in body and in spirit. But the married person's interests are divided between the earthly and the heavenly. That's just the way it is. The single woman and man can be holy, set apart in body and in spirit. And single Christians, whether married before or never married, they aren't more righteous or faithful than married ones. But because there's fewer family demands and responsibilities, they're able to be more devoted to the Lord. Being holy is compared with being divided. Okay, being holy, that means set, set, set apart or separate, is compared with being divided, but not spiritually. It's not that the married believer has divided their spiritual loyalties or that the single person is more spiritually faithful. A lot of married believers are holy in the sense of being highly devoted to the Lord, and many single believers are divided in their spiritual interests. But realistically, the single person in body and spirit is potentially able to set himself or herself apart from the things of this life more fully for the Lord's work than the married person. They can come and they can go as the Lord calls them. But the married Christians shouldn't feel guilty about being married and single Christians should feel, shouldn't feel guilty about getting married. Here's the thing. Paul is not trying to add to the problem and to the cares that married people already have. He's not trying to force single believers into being single for the rest of their life. Paul says, I'm just telling you what is the, telling you this for your own good. Not to place burdens or restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. Marriage doesn't keep you from being devoted to the Lord and being single doesn't guarantee devotion to the Lord. But being single has fewer obstacles and more advantages. That's what Paul is saying. It's easier for a single person to be single-minded in the things of the Lord. The married person person has no choice. His interests have to be divided. He can't be faithful to the Lord if he's unfaithful to his family. But the single person has a choice. He or she is free to marry or not to marry. Paul says he's not restricting you to stay single. His choice is a matter of what's right or wrong, but what, not what's right or wrong, but what's best. So Paul wasn't restricting anybody, okay? To marry or to stay single. He was telling them to stay as they are for the simple reasons. Number one, he wanted, them to, he wanted to spare them trouble. And second, he wanted them to serve the Lord without distraction. Undistracted service. The word serve in verse 35 means they which wait at. They which wait at. It has the idea of waiting at the side of the Lord as those who serve. It speaks of a constant devotion, and this was for their own good. And then verses 36 through 38. 
Paul said, but if any man thinks he is, ha- is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his own heart that he will keep his virgin, he does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Paul says, if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will uh, inevitably give in to his uh, passion, let him marry as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he has a decided, for, uh, if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there's no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries uh, his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry stays even better. So there are two sides about the man here that's being spoken. Tradition says it's a father here who wouldn't let his daughter get married, then decides that he's been unfair, and he's liable to cause her to rebel and fall into immorality. So uh, she may have been told that she wanted to get married, She may have told her father she wanted to get married, but didn't have the gift of celibacy. But said, if this is the case, the father should let her marry. It's okay. The other idea is a couple who may have not been married formally. They decided to live together, but refrain from sexual relations. So they agreed to have a spiritual union. But their decision is overcome by a desire to consummate their marriage. Paul said, it's okay. Don't feel like you've done anything wrong. The choice is not between right and wrong, but what's best. When Paul says the single person does even better, he's talking about the potential time that they have to serve God. The available time they have to serve God. The single person doesn't have the responsibility of caring for a spouse and raising a family. But being single, it doesn't mean a person is going to serve God. Serving God depends upon the commitment of the individual person, whether they're married or single. And then in verse 39 through 40, Paul goes on to tell that marriage is a permanent bond. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think also I have the spirit of God. Paul says a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, as long as he's alive. If her husband dies, then she is free to marry anybody that she wishes, but only if he's a Christian in the Lord. Paul says, but my opinion is it would be better for her to stay single. He says, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. So this added information focuses on the permanency of marriage. Marriage is a permanent bond as long as both spouses are alive. When the Lord taught the, when the, Lord taught the disciples about the permanence of marriage in Matthew 19, sin, they, they said, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Even though Christians who have the gift of celibacy are free to get married, they should keep in mind that they're committed. They're obligated to that person for the rest of their lives until their partner's death. And if the partner goes to be with God, then the believer is free to remarry as long as the new partner is a Christian. So the two main points are that widowed believers aren't required to stay single. 
But if they do marry, remarry, it must be to another Christian. But Paul says remarrying is not the ideal. It's not God, it's not, not God's best for everyone. Paul says, in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And again in verse 28, 32, and 35, Paul makes it clear that he's not giving a command, but he's giving counsel for the benefit and the blessing of those who take it. A widowed person who has God's grace for singleness will be happier happier to remain single. Paul's statement when he said, I think that I also have the Spirit of God, that does not weaken what he said. It strengthens it. And Paul makes it clear again that, that this is his statement. It's his advice. He was still speaking as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. His command was God's command and his advice was God's advice. So in closing, the important thing Paul's pointing to here, the important thing through all of this is to serve God. Single or married, to serve God, to put him first in your life. If you're married, God should still be first in your life. Now, there are a lot of couples who are doing good. But unfortunately, God doesn't have first place in their marriage. In deciding whether to stay single or get married, the most important thing to think about is not what your Christian friends will say or how society in general will look at you. The question you need to ask yourself is this. In what way can I put God first in my life? Because again, whatever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God. Father, we thank you for Paul's word here, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your, your book of instruction, God. To lead us into truth, to answer questions, God, that we, we may ask, Lord, that we are not sure of, Father. We're so thankful that you don't lead us, you don't leave us in the dark, God. That we don't have to grope around, Lord, not being able to see. Just reaching out for things and whatever we grab is the thing that we hold on to, God. But Lord, may we stick to your word. May we stick to your counsel, Father. We know that what you have for us is the best for us. And and your concern for us is in the deepest part of your heart, God. You care about us, Lord. You care about our welfare. We thank you for, again, the instruction that you give us, God. May we continue to search the scriptures for all things, God. For our strength, for our hope, for our direction, God. And mostly for our salvation. So, Lord, we thank you. And, Father, we now give thanks for the offering that we will receive today, Father. We thank you, as always, for your generosity. We thank you for your faithfulness. And, Father, for your abundance. Father, we thank you that we have never, since day one, Lord, ever had to plead, ask, or, or, or just coerce more giving God it's your church you know what we need God and may you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do Lord we thank you in Jesus name we pray amen